Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wellness Talks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ehrenberg. On this episode, I would like to discuss the question that I often see, or the reference that I often hear, is that mental illness, um, just because it's invisible, doesn't mean that it's not there. And while this has some uh, validity to it, of course, um, it is my contention that um, that indeed we do have symptoms that manifest themselves that are observable and that have uh, their roots in biology, um, specifically our neurobiology. And um, I think where we fail to see or make the connection between actual symptoms being produced and uh, sort of a social construct or what we think we understand about mental health which is, you know, you can just shut it off anytime and go to work and whistle Dixie and everything's fine. However, those uh, mental health professionals and uh, neurologists and such um, are more aware that there are more at stake and more in play than just a simple social construct um, that sometimes is often propagated by society at large. And... A good example of this is um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, There are, in fact, a whole multitude of symptoms that manifest themselves that are very observable. And there are actually actual neurobiological mechanisms that are altered and which obviously we can't see. So with that said, the answer to that are mental health conditions invisible? Uh, The answer really is yes and no. Well, at least from my perspective. And when we take post-traumatic stress as the example, um, what happens essentially there is we need to understand a little bit about neurology and the brain structures of the brain. Um, Firstly, um, it's post-traumatic stress disorder um, is produced uh, or is thought to be produced in the amygdalas which is in um, which is an ancient response system to danger and threat so essentially what it does or what it did do in ancient times throughout human history was ensure that we didn't become the lunch of a saber-toothed tiger for example um, so what it did, um, these amygdalas, almond-sized or shaped uh, structures in the brain that um, are responsible for um, putting out um, adrenaline and serotonin and acetylcholine and uh, a few other neurotran- neurochemicals that uh, um, get distributed throughout the brain to tell us that we are, are under threat. Um, so they, they tend to be malformed in people with PTSD and for all intents and purposes, if you looked at someone who was momentarily scared and that mechanism or region of the brain was working efficiently, the off switch would just shut off over a period of time, uh, when there is no clear and present danger. However, when you look at post-traumatic stress, 
Um, it's as if somebody took that switch and broke off the lever and left it in fight, flight, or freeze mode. And that results in a higher vigilance, um, a constant hypervigilance, and a really high startle response. And you, so in other words, you're always on guard for potential threats, either real or manifested within the mind or the brain, not the mind. Um, so in other words, when you're always on alert, um, the noises that are produced by the world are going to make your head turn quickly. You're going to notice every movement, um, potentially, and you're going to, um, jump out of your chair when somebody drops a pot on the floor. Um, of course, uh, these symptoms all range, um, with people as, uh, PTSD tends to be different for everyone. But for all intents and purposes, this example perfectly illustrates that there's a physiological, a neurophysiological, and a neurochemical uh, origin to post-traumatic stress. Um, and thereby um, suggesting or letting us know that there is a physiological um, issue going on with the brain that's not... Uh, normal. And uh, with that said, obviously, you can't see um, you can't see the physiological mechanisms that drive somebody to jump up in the air or to be irritable or to be always on guard or to have mistrust. Um, all these things are accentuated by that malfunction of the fight, flight, or freeze response as it sort of hijacks the prefrontal cortex which is the aspect of the brain um, that uh, isn't located in the front and it helps you reason and it helps you um, and with restraint and regulation of mood and all these kind of things. Um, so when that switch is broken off, it essentially um, overrides uh, your logic centers and the prefrontal cortex and, and uh, takes over. And that's why... For example, when you are really anxious, you can't think straight. And that's because you're, you're primed to escape. So even if you're doing a speech, you're primed to escape. Makes it, you forget your lines, you start to sweat, you start, uh, your heart rate starts to go up, and all these things. And uh, those are physiological reactions. And when you are um, unfortunate enough to be uh, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, that's an ongoing thing uh, for many of us for uh, uh, most of our lives. And uh, with that being said, um, it's not the actual brain that we can see that uh, we should argue about in terms of, yes, there's visible symptoms. It's the production of that miss, uh, uh, that uh, damage, if you will, uh, that we should um, take in consideration as a symptom. And uh, so if you see somebody that's, if you have a friend who's easily startled, um, that's irritable and takes a long time um, out of uh, public um, 
is always seems to be on high alert and doesn't seem to trust people uh, quite as well as they should. Um, these aren't social choices. Um, they are a reaction to the way uh, a PTSD brain is wired. So yes, you you can see that there are physiological or that there are symptoms that are there. Um, we just have to uh, educate ourselves to be aware of these. And once we become aware of them, we can better support our loved ones and friends who are stricken with mental health disorders. Um, like depression, for example, uh, you can spend long times in bed, your appetite changes, um, you're sad, low, and blue, you're... Um, everything is such a huge monumental task uh, your thought process is not arranged in a way that's optimal and as a result um, you withdraw and you can't bear to lift your head off a pillow or you know and those things are all symptoms of depression they are not um, social choices that people are making they're not they have some real, um, real uh, problematic um, origins behind them. And with major depressive disorder, um, it's uh, thought to be, uh, by some science, uh, inflammation of the brain. And uh, we are all familiar with inflammation you bang your knee, it swells, you can barely move, uh, you're putting ice on it, you're walking around slowly, um, and uh, those are a manifestation of, of the swelling, and for all intents and purposes can be uh, observed as sort of symptoms. Um, so, um, with that all said, what we need to learn is um, that there are like a swollen knee or someone with heart disease or a heart who's had a heart attack. There are actual physical things happening within the body. Um, your body does not end at your bottom of your neck. It extends into your brain uh, as an organ and your skull. and It's all one entity. And uh, as many people experience heart troubles, so too... Uh, can people uh, have uh, mental health conditions of, that are produced by the brain? Um, so, in other words, you can't see uh, heart disease by looking at someone. But it is really understood that you, um, if somebody says they have a heart disease, you are cognizant of that. And you might be supportive. Can I, what can I do to help you? You know, do you need a ride to work? Uh, if you can't drive, I'll take you to your appointments. They may be a little discolored, gray, um, not have a lot of energy, really struggling, and may have to eat a better diet and all of these things. And uh, surprise, surprise, uh, many of these things are no different when it comes to mental health conditions. Um, for example, with depression and, um, you know, most uh, mental health conditions actually, um, a change in eating a clean diet can uh, oftentimes um, really alleviate the symptoms of these conditions and thereby 
increasing the quality of life. But how do we best support people who have or are showing physiological symptoms um, of depression or post-traumatic stress or, or personality disorders or any of those? And the answer to that is uh, education um, and believing the people that are ill. Um, and probably one of the most um, important things that can be done is the two fundamental most important things that can be done is one, actively listen. And that means you're not listening to um, react, oh, it's just this or it's just that. For example, you know, you can get over it. Um, you're just being lazy or whatever comment you want to make. You're actually listening to hear what they're saying and you're looking for uh, those things that are causing symptoms to flare or they're in the middle of a, you know, a depressive episode, for example. So um, if someone is in a, depressive, in a depressive episode, one of the best things you can do is listen and offer support um, if they need to get to the doctor but they're not feeling up to it. Um, perhaps you can drive them. Um, if your friend has post-traumatic stress disorder and the environment is overwhelming and it's too loud and it's very much a threat, um, calmly ask them if they'd like to leave, go somewhere quiet, what can I do to help? Um, and really approach that from that angle. Um, it's sort of more of a logistic side of things and I think that we as a society don't understand how important that is to people who are ill. Um, whether it's physiological, or whether it's a heart condition or, or a mental illness, um, that support, um, you just had a heart attack, I, I, I'm a free Wednesday, I can take you to your appointment, and all those things. Those are fundamentally important because um, when I'm in a major depressive episode, I don't even want to look at my phone. It takes so much energy. So if there's any possible way that somebody can support me by, uh, say, I need my medication and uh, I'm down and out. Um, if they can do that, or if you can do that for a loved one or your spouse or your children or whoever that you're close to, that is such a, um, um, I can't even describe from my own personal experience how much I appreciate and how much that alleviates um, uh, uh, my angst on top of that depressive episode. Um, so listening, and not, and not trying to solve the problem that you may feel that doesn't exist, um, that it does exist, and, and you know, just supporting them. I can't emphasize that enough. And understanding that, yes, when they are down like that, that is a symptom when they can't get up. Um, I really think that the whole world would broaden its horizons around mental health if it took that approach. Um, I know that neuro neurology is probably not on on the top of anyone's list. Um, nonetheless, it's very helpful to understand uh, where people sit with mental health conditions. And just in general, if you have a knowledge base around neuroscience, you can un better understand yourself and even say, well, why am I... Why am I responding to this person's mental health condition the way I am? And if you know the neuro 
neuro and social mechanisms that are driving your thoughts, um, then maybe that'll be more helpful for both you and the person suffering. Okay, so I think I will leave it here. And I saved my thank yous for the end because I really wanted to discuss this. I'm kind of passionate about the fact that we really need to change our mindsets around um, like mental health conditions and really understand that there's a medical or disease model, if you will, uh, surrounding this whole thing. Um, but nonetheless, I do want to uh, still thank everyone for tuning into the Wellness Talks. Um, our population is getting bigger in terms of reader listenership. And um, also, I can't forget, as always, to thank everyone who stops by the road to mentalwellness.com to, um, to read our content there. We, every, or we're getting more and more um, subscribers all the time and uh, regular readers. And it's, it's such an amazing thing. And I hope that everybody's getting uh, at least something to take away from our, our talks and our writings and our videos and, uh, and my new book that will be coming out uh, that talks about my lifelong struggle with mental health um, from a kid till present day. And um, the whole idea is to educate and to inspire people, both healthy and not so healthy, as in people who have mental illness, to better their lives in some way, even if it's a small um, small gesture of help that resonates with you. That's what it's all about for us. And uh, we really appreciate all your help. And uh, with that being said, I'll leave it there for today. And I wish you all well. Be safe, and uh, please take care of one another. Talk again soon.